Welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, where we talk about engaging topics about investing, personal finance, and business. This show is hosted by Rodrigo Valverde. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Rebranded Audio Investing Podcast, the best podcast to start off your investing journey towards financial independence, where we're bullish in value, and where you learn what they didn't teach you about investing. It's your host here, Rodrigo, and today we're going to learn about exchange-traded funds and some investing opportunities, as well as some of the moves that some of the pros are making. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, are financial instruments that could be considered a hybrid between listed stocks and mutual funds, and are usually intended to replicate an index. They are a basket of shares of different companies, commodities, bonds, or a mixture of these, which are quoted in the market, and are therefore also known as quoted funds. ETFs are tradable securities that have an associated price in the market, which makes it easy to buy and sell them at any time of the day, unlike mutual funds, where you have to wait until the end of the day to know their net asset value. As mentioned previously, an ETF can be composed of shares of listed companies. These companies, in which the ETF invests in, uh, as usual, pay dividends to their shareholders. In this episode, we will explain which types of ETFs uh, exist out there, depending on how they treat the dividends they receive from the companies they invest in. There's starting off with accumulation ETFs that are characterized by the reinvestment of dividends received from the companies in which you invest, without distributing them among various ETF holders. These dividends are reinvested proportionally among the entire basket of assets. The ETF's equity will therefore increase by the number of dividends received, thereby increasing the value of the ETF participants' positions. Then we've got distribution ETFs, which are characterized by the periodic distribution, usually quarterly, of dividends received from the companies in which they invest. In this way, fund holders receive an income, they actually receive the dividends, to their trading account, just as if they received the dividends from a company directly. Works the same way. The amount received as dividends by the holder will be proportional to the number of shares owned. Investors in some countries gain a tax advantage by preferring one class of ETF shares over another, depending on local local uh, country tax law. However, excluding any local tax advantages and trading costs were Two ETFs contain the exact same assets, but one is distributing and the other is accumulating. Uh, The long-term performance of the two will be pretty much the same. When a distributing fund or ETF pays a distribution, its net asset value will drop by the per share amount of the distribution. However, ignoring costs and taxes, the investor's position has not actually changed because they will receive cash to the value of the drop in their ETF's holding valuation. In comparison, an accumulating fund or ETF pays no distribution, but uses the income generated by the assets from the ETFs from the basket of securities in the fund to buy more of those assets internally and within the ETF. And as a result, its net asset value does not drop periodically. Allow me to explain net asset value, as I'm sure you're wondering, some of you, because I've mentioned it already a couple of times, and I think it's time to explain. Uh, It's basically the net value of an entity, 
short for NAV, net asset value. And it's often uh, in the context, it's used in the context of mutual funds or exchange traded funds, ETFs. It's basically assets minus liabilities divided by total shares. It is often the case that NAV is close to or equal to the book value of a business. Companies considered to have high growth prospects are traditionally valued more than NAV might suggest. NAV is most frequently compared to market capitalization uh, to find undervalued or overvalued investments. The value of a mutual fund or exchange traded fund per share is the total shares minus liabilities divided by total shares. In assets, for example, stuff like cash and equivalents, receivables, accrued income, and the value of a fund's investments are included. Then we subtract liabilities, such as money owed to banks, pending payments, and a variety of charges and fees owed to various associated entities. Also, shares or dividends issued to non-residents and sale proceeds pending repatriation are considered liabilities as well. Furthermore, any accrued expenses, such as salaries, staff expenses, utilities, advertising, management expenses, audit fees, and any other operational expenses are also accounted for. And to compute the NAV for a day, all these various items falling under assets and liabilities are taken as of the end of a particular business day. And in order to measure the performance of the fund, we have to look at two main things. One is the total return, and another is the compounding annual growth rate. The total return is basically the amount of value that an investor gains from several investments or from a single security. And it includes interest, capital gains, and distributions, such as dividends. For example, if we bought a share at $20 and we bought 50 shares, our investment would be valued at 1000 If in one year time, the price grew to $24, our investment would be valued at 1200 Hence, the return would be 20%. If we received a dividend per share of 3%, so dividend per share divided by share price, that's the yield, then our return would be 20 plus 3%. So it would be 23%. What investors do with mutual funds, for example, is analyze the average returns and they compare it to a benchmark such as the Nasdaq, the, D the Dow Jones, the S&P, or any local stock exchange from wherever you're from. Whereas the compounding annual growth rate is the rate of return at the end of the investment balance, assuming that all profits are reinvested. And investors use it to compare it with other funds or securities, and they decide which compounded growth rate they prefer. And this is something that's actually pretty important. It's calculated as the ending value, divided by the beginning value to the power of 1 divided by the number of years until the end value is expected, and all of this minus 1. It helps to smooth out returns when growth rates are expected to be very volatile and inconsistent because there can be years where you can gain 8% and another year might be negative 2%, maybe another year can be 5%, etc. There's many situations and this can change over time. The way to find out whether we are investing in an accumulation ETF or a distribution ETF is basically by looking at the diminutive in the name. If we look at the name of the ETF, we find in, in the first ACC, AC, ACC, it says it on the, 
on the fund website, which means that uh, the ETF is accumulation. So if it says ACC, it's accumulation. And then the second diminutive, if it says DIST, D-I-S-T, DIST, which means that the ETF is a distribution. If we want to know if we are dealing with a distribution or accumulation ETF, we don't have the and we don't have the diminutive in the name. What we do is we go to the its information brochure, which is in the document where the essential data regarding ETFs is in question uh, can be found. And to do this, we take the name of the ETF that we have and we look it up in the fund manager. We can simply do this by a Google search. We can do it by simply searching it and the fund will appear. And this information is always available because it's key investor information. Then when it comes to taxes, it's usually better to pick accumulation ETFs. This is because you pay based on the dividends earned and the capital gains from an investment. So if you were to pick a distributing ETF, you would have to pay taxes. In Spain, for example, the tax rate is at a rate of 19% for a base of 6,000 euros at 21% for the base between 6,000 and 50,000 euros, and at a rate of 23% for the amount of the base exceeding 50,000 euros. The amount paid in taxes each year will cease to be reinvested. This is where one of the advantages of accumulation ETFs comes in, as their use allows for tax deferral on these dividends. In this way, we can continue to make our capital bigger and bigger, and obtain more and more capital gains until the moment we decide to sell the shares, taking advantage of compound interest. Now, that's enough theory on how funds work and how ETFs work and all that. Now let's learn how we can make money with this. There's a method used that almost always yielded positive returns just by buying and holding for at least 17 months. And the average yield for this method is over 7% annually. And when the markets are down, that's actually when this method works best. So pretty cool, right? Sounds like a deal. Someone came up with this method, and his name is Ray Dalio. You may have heard of it, some of you. He's very famous in the world of fund managing because he has a total of around $138 billion in assets under management. Perhaps it could be more, maybe a bit less. He's the fund. He's the founder of the world's biggest hedge fund uh, called Bridgewater Associates. Rumor has it that because of the demand from investors to invest in his hedge fund with steady gains and really low risk involved, you need $100 million worth of capital to invest in. But uh, Ray Dalio decided to, to share his methods and his techniques and his strategies with, other, with the rest of the world for free uh, because, I mean, who cares? This guy's a billionaire, so might as well help, help out some people make some money and gain some pretty decent returns because 7% is pretty fair for the vast majority of investors. So what is it that attracts so many investors to Bridgewater? It's because of Ray Dalio's all-weather portfolio. It's a portfolio that's able to make gains and withstand moments of recession. This method of portfolio management only encountered losses 4 years out of 30, where the highest loss was just 3% in a year. In fact, the average return was well over 7% a year. This means that on average, for every 10 years, you can double your returns. This is calculated by dividing 72. It's called the rule of 72, by the way. And you divide it by 7, which gives, you, which gives us a number of 10. And this is the amount of time that it takes 
to double the investment. So all you have to do is buy and hold the assets without any effort required. In order to be successful using this method, you need to stick to the plan. That is, without changing the assets too much based on the short-term results and what's going on in the current market. In fact, if you would have invested $1,000 on January the 1st, 2007, to this day, your investment will be valued at over $2,600. As a matter of fact, the recessions encountered barely had any effect on the value. Since January 2007, investing $1,000 would have yielded a 105% return in total. So that more than doubled the investment, as I mentioned earlier. And a return of 7.44%. You can check this out on LazyPortfolioETF.com. I repeat, LazyPortfolioETF.com. And you can check out Ray Dalio's portfolio. And what makes this portfolio so attractive is its resistance to volatility. If we look at the information given to us about this portfolio on LazyPortfolio.com, we can see that the worst drawdown was experienced from July 2008 until February 2009, with a negative 12.9% return. During the same period in question, the NYSE, the American Stock Exchange, dropped 60%. But in less than 7 months, the portfolio managed to recover all of its losses, while the American Stock Exchange took 4 years to recover losses whereas the drawdown from this year in March was only 2.34%, and the recovery was just a month, while the stock exchange fell 30% on average. So what is it that makes this portfolio so resistant to recession? How does Ray Dalio allocate his capital, and why? After years of studying the markets and the correlation between financial markets and the economy, Ray Dalio realized that there were two main variables that had a direct impact. They are inflation and economic growth. There are moments where we can encounter high inflation and low inflation, or high growth and low growth. As a result, Ray Dalio decided to cause portfolio all-weather as a way to withstand inflation and fluctuations in growth. A portfolio that can perform well in any of the four scenarios high or low inflation or high or low growth. And since markets are impossible to predict for, for sure, the portfolio is, is a, one of the best ways to fight against any volatility. Ray Dalio recommends four different asset classes to include in a portfolio. They are stocks, bonds, commodities, and gold. In the first scenario, we have high economic growth meaning that we have to invest in assets that perform well during those circumstances, which includes stocks, commodities, and corporate bonds. Stock goes up, goes up in times of economic growth because profits tend to increase, and commodities tend to see a hike in demand while supply remains constant as materials are needed to build buildings, bridges, roads, industrial goods, or, or for personal consumption. In 2019, U.S. stocks went up 30%, while commodities such as gold went up 10%. In the second scenario, we would have low economic growth, where we would invest in government bonds and long-term corporate bonds. This is because low-risk assets such as fixed income are in demand as opposed to stocks and commodities. The U.S. 20-year government bond has increased its value by over 20% so far this year, for example. Then, 
we've got the increasing inflation scenario where we want to include more inflation-linked bonds, commodities, and real estate. Stocks do okay during these times, but the main winners are commodities and real estate as they're considered as safe havens when interest rates go up. Inflation-linked bonds are bonds that are adjusted to inflation. And finally, in the fourth scenario, we've got decreasing inflation, where stocks, nominal bonds, and cash stand out. This is because bonds perform well when interest rates go down. Bond prices go up, and cash deposits can pay you an amount uh, that's higher than the rate of inflation. So, how much would you allocate in each of the different scenarios? According to Ray Dalio, first thing you want to include is 30% of the portfolio for US companies with high market capitalization. You can do this by buying a S&P 500 ETF that mimics the movements of the S of the 500 biggest companies in the USA. The ticker for the fund is SPY. It's known as the SPDR S&P 500 and it's priced at around $348 per share. So remember that buying ETFs is like buying a basket of shares. So instead of buying a whole bunch of them, you'll have them all in one place. Then, Dalio recommends allocating between 30 to 40% approximately of the portfolio to US long-term government bonds. You can purchase an ETF called iShares 20 plus year treasury bond ETF with the ticker TLT, trading at around $161 per share right now. And thirdly, Dolly recommends allocating 15% to intermediate U.S. bonds that are basically medium-term bonds by purchasing an ETF called iShares 3-7 year treasury bond ETF with the ticker IEI, trading at around $133 a share as of today. Buying bond ETFs is the best way, uh, is the best uh, to have access to bonds for small investors since you need a lot of capital actually in order to invest in these kind of assets. You may need between twenty-five to $100,000 minimum. So it's not very affordable for most of us. And fourthly, Dalio suggests allocating 7.5% of the portfolio to commodities. And we can do this by acquiring iShares Commodity Index with the ticker GSG. And it's trading at around $11 per share. If you type in the name of the GSG index and the type and then you type in annual report, you can see how much is allocated to each type of commodity. And you can see how much they invest in oil, aluminum, gold, wheat, corn, and even livestock. Finally, Ray Dalio advises to include 7.5% of our allocation to gold. And we can do this by buying the world's most popular ETF for gold known as SPDR Gold Trust with the ticker GLD, and it's currently trading around $178 a share. In fact, this ETF has $50 billion worth of gold, where 45 tons of the gold uh, is stored in the Bank of England, one of the world's safest places to safeguard gold. And Ray Dalio also recommends to rebalance the portfolio every 12 months or so, so that assets are in line with the original strategy of all weather. Uh, though he still continues to use the strategy in his hedge fund, he has made certain adjustments lately and he bought more more stock ETFs and less bond ETFs and more into gold ETFs and uh, even more in emerging markets as well, such as India with the ticker INDA. 
that is provided by iShares MSCI India. In fact, he increased his allocation in gold up to 15% of his portfolio. And that's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you found this episode interesting. Make sure to subscribe or follow and share this podcast if you haven't already, as I'm building a community with expanding reach so that I can make people aware about investing, personal finance, and financial independence. Listen to this episode again to retain knowledge better because you learn with repetition. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. You can find me as The Audio Investing Podcast. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Rodrigo Valverde Nuño. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to have you back next time. Have a wonderful day. See you. Bye.